for listening to this audio podcast from Christian Life Church, Nassau, Bahamas with Dr. J. Sims. We hope that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to you. Now, the, this verse in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20, I know it is a rather unusual verse. It is about a man who slew a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, don't look at me strange because we're going to read it. It's right in the Bible. Verse 20, it says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab, he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. That qualifies him as that man who slew a lion on a snowy day. Now, I've chosen as a subtitle for this message, How to Get Out of the Pits. How many of you have ever been in the pits? <laughs> Someone said, if life is a bowl of cherries, why are you always in the pits? The last line of that verse says, he went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. You may have heard of that woman who, she had gotten her picture taken by a photographer and she went in to see the proofs. And when she went in to see the proofs, she said to the man who was showing them to her, she said, these pictures just don't do me justice. He said, lady with a face like you, yours, you don't need justice, you need mercy. Now, I thought that was rather unkind of that man to do that. But let me say something to you by way of introduction. I want you to notice the name of the man. The name's man is Benaiah. And uh, names in the Bible have a meaning. For example, the name Jacob means deceiver. The name Israel means prince with God. The name Elijah means Jehovah saves. Uh, the name Judah means praise. But this name, Benaiah, it means God is building. And it is the picture of the life of the believer, the life of the Christian, whose life is still under construction. By the way, Benaiah's father's name, Jehoiada, I really like this, it means God knows all about it. Isn't that great? I, I, I mean, you know, today you might be here and you think, well, you know, God has forgotten me. God doesn't know what I'm going through. But God has brought this man's name, Jehoiada, into this message to tell somebody here today that God has not forgotten about you. He knows your name. He knows, I mean, he even knows the number of hairs on your head. 
He knows everything about you, and he cares about you. He has not forgotten about you. How many of you are glad to know today, though, that God is not finished with you yet? Come on, we are still in the building stages, and you are still under construction. The second thing I want you to notice about this simple and yet unusual text is that Benaiah had an adversary. And this adversary that he was facing is a lion. <laughs> Heard of a great story about a missionary. He was running, he was going through the the, the jungle, and lo and behold, he saw a lion. And when he saw that lion being the spiritual man he was, he got down on his knees and he began to pray. And nothing happened. He looked up and there the lion was on his knees. And he said, lion, what are you doing? He said, I always pray before I eat. Now, Benaiah had this problem, and that problem was that there's a lion that he's dealing with that has him in mind for supper. So the next thing I want you to notice in this parallel uh, study is simply this. Every one of you, you have an adversary. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and 8 that you ought to be sober and be vigilant for your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour. And the truth that underscores the beginning of our thoughts today is that every Christian has an adversary and every Christian at some point in your life, you are going to face some adversity. Now, you know, I know that uh, some people think, you know, when you become a Christian, you know, hey, wonderful, no more problems. Well, I'm sorry, it's not that way. It's no, like, you know, no carpet on the racetrack, no bed of roses on the battlefield, no trouble-free transit system, you know, from the new birth to the new Jerusalem, you know, to some mountain over on a hilltop, worlds without end, amen, selah, no I have to tell you today that I don't know who promised you that, but it's not in the Bible. The Bible says all that will live godly will be hassled. You are, uh, the enemy is going to attack you. And as I say frequently, the devil never attacks a retreating army, only an advancing one. And when you got saved and you defected out of his kingdom into the kingdom of light, you got on the other side. The devil is not going to send you a congratulatory message just saying, hey, you made a great decision. Then no, he will counterattack you. He will come against you and do everything he can to get you back. So the good word is this, you are not just redeemed, you were recruited. Hello. And the new birth sometimes will bring new battles. And you will discover that the new birth sometimes, it does not eradicate the old nature. It just sometimes bring it in sharp contrast. Now, I'll have to be honest with you. I have more trouble with that man that I shave in the morning than anybody else I know. 
Hello? That's why one of my prayers is, Lord, slay me. And let the old man die, said that only the new man in Christ will live and, and be alive. So there is a battle and there is a conflict. But today I want to tell you how you can have victory every day of your life. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm tired of seeing people who have been professing to be Christians for a long time and the devil is still beating them sick every day and every week. I believe it's time for God's people to stand up, know who they are in Christ, know their rights, know that they've been given authority, and know it's time to put your foot down and say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you. I command you to take your hands off off of my life, off of my wife, off of my children, off of my home, off of my finances, off of my health. Someone say enough is enough. So it's time that, you know what, um, it's time that we, 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 we need to learn this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And some of you act like, you know, it, it's... Is the person living in the house with you. That's not your enemy. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. It is principalities, it's powers, it is demonic spirits. I'm telling you, we are in a war right now, and that enemy is seeking in any way he can to come against you, and the primary place he begins to attack you is in the area of your thoughts, and then he comes in the area of your emotions. Now, I know there are some people who may be predisposed to yucking up your vexation. I, I, I mean, they just set you off. But you better learn how to respond and not react when they are coming, uh, you know, with their stuff, you know. Uh, you need to know today that the Word says no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And yes, every tongue that rises in judgment thou shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Listen, there are tongues that are rising against you. You know, I, I, you, you just need to know that. The, Paul said, I am not ignorant of his devices, lest he hath advantage over me. And I tell you, the, the, the moment we can get rid of ignorance is the moment we will take the advantage that he has had over us and we can turn the tables on the enemy because we know his MO, we know the way he operates, yes, and he's going to attack you in your mind and he's going to attack you in your emotions. That's where you feel things. So when people say things, it affects your emotions. So we need to learn how to deal with our adversary. There are at least three things that I need to share from this verse, and then we'll be through. The conflict between you and the enemy, between Benaiah and the lion, number one, the conflict is unequal. Now, Think about it humanly speaking. Men are not naturally equipped to fight lions, are they? Now, Nero knew that, and that's why he would feed the Christians to the lions. 
and you will discover that this is a Bible pattern. Now, just let me pull up a few files from Scripture to illustrate this from biblical history. What was equal about David versus the Goliath, humanly speaking? A small shepherd boy versus a nine-foot, six-inch giant. Come on, five smooth stones and a sling versus all of that heavy armor that the giant had on. What was equal naturally? What was equal about Moses versus Pharaoh? The staff versus the scepter. The shepherd versus the sovereign. You know, one word and Moses' head would have been rolling. What was equal about it? What was equal about Joshua versus Jericho? Think about it. it it's, it's almost ridiculous. Here goes these seven priests blowing seven trumpets, marching around this fortified city seven times. Come on, what was equal? What was equal about Jehoshaphat? Versus the 185,000 Assyrian soldiers who is coming down the street with AK something down there. I don't know the names of all those weapons today. But they're coming down and they're planning to take out Jehoshaphat. And then God gives him this incredible idea. Jehoshaphat, get the choir and just put them out in front of the army. <laughs> Very good. I, I mean, uh, just to think about it, it would probably give any general a cardiac arrest. Yes. But when that choir got out in front and they began to sing, listen, little is much when God is in it. I tell you, sometimes you don't even realize when you begin to praise God, God's power, his anointing, his presence touches the praise coming out of your mouth. This is what happened here for Jehoshaphat and Judah. God took and relayed the sound of that choir into the tents of the enemy. And I tell you, it confused the enemy. They got up and they wiped themselves out. 185,000 in one day jammed their circuits, panicked their generals. You know what they did? The people of God didn't even have to lift a stone. They went in there. They didn't have to shoot a shot. They never lost a man. They went in there, and it took them three days to collect the spoils. By the way, I don't know how God's going to do it today, but I want to just say this. It's just in the spirit to say it. I believe, I, I know that people have been saying it for years, but if you'll read James 5, you'll understand that there is going to be a wealth transfer. I said there is going to be a wealth transfer from the hands of the wicked into the hands of the righteous. Why? Because there is some things that we are going to have to do in this end time, and everything costs money. 
I just pray that God raise up some millionaires, multimillionaires, multimillionaires right now. I believe God is going to raise up some end-time financiers of the kingdom of God. Come on. So I don't know what you do now, but you get ready. I'm believing God to multiply. I'm believing God to bless you. If you own a business, I believe that your business is about to emerge. Come on. I believe some of you are about to start some new businesses. Come on. Whatever it is. And I want to tell you, if you'll put God first, if you'll let him be the center, come on, of your life and of your business practices, I believe God will bless you. Come on. You don't have to, you don't have to run your business like anybody else or like the world system. Come on. God has a system, and it's called the kingdom. And we need to see some kings in the marketplace. Come on. Kings and priests coming together to come on to advance God's kingdom in this end time. Now, one or two more. What was equal about the disciples versus the storm? Now, you know, the worst part about the storm is that as the disciples were in the boat, Jesus was somewhere up on the mountain praying somewhere else. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't mind going through a storm if he is on board. By the way, if you're going through a storm right now, if you're going through an ordeal right now, I want you to know, again, you need Jesus uh, right there in the center of your life, in the center of that storm. You need to know he's on board and that everything is going to be all right. But when this storm arose, the disciple, these veteran fishermen, these men who knew the waters, they knew the Sea of Galilee, but here they were, the consensus were, you know what, I know he said go to the other side, but it looks like we're going under. Maybe you heard the story about the pilot who is flying this four-engine plane, had passengers, taking them to a destination, and as they were flying, lo and behold, one of the engines went out. And uh, somehow some passengers kind of realized it and they said, hey, something happened. And so the captain got on, uh, the pilot, he got on and he said, ladies and gentlemen, yes, I know that one of the engines have gone out, but it's going to be okay. Uh, this plane is able, well equipped to fly on three engines. And so he kind of calmed things down and lo and behold, a second engine caught a fire and uh, he got back on the radio again, and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know this looks bad, but I can tell you that this plane can fly on two engines. It will just take a little bit longer to get to our destination. Well, they go a little bit further, and lo and behold, a third engine goes. And he comes back on. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I know it appears to be bad, but I, I have studied uh, for a long time. This plane is so aerodynamically designed, it can still fly on one engine. And somehow or another, they calm down. The plane's going, you know, kind of slow. But lo and behold, the fourth engine, it goes off. And no engine is going, and the captain, the pilot, appears in the cockpit door. He has his parachute on, and he says, listen, no problem. I'm going for help. 
But you know, when the disciples were in the storm, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus, even though it was a storm, he saw them. He saw them. They could not see him. But he saw them. And you know what? He was sending out spiritual sonar signals to every wave and saying, you can get so high but no higher. And I will show them there is no storm that can subdue, come on, a heart that is trusting fully in the man who walks on the water. I want to tell you, I don't know what you're going through, but I've got to tell you, there hath no temptation or trial or test taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. But listen, he will make a way of escape. Come on. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I want to tell you that God sees you. Come on. I said Jesus saw them, though the storm was raging. He saw them. But not only did he see them, but thank God he came off the mountain and he came walking on the water towards them. And as he was coming towards them, at first they thought it was a ghost. And that really caused a little more fear. But then Jesus spoke up and he said, fear not. He said, be of good cheer. He said, it is I. I wish I could preach right there for about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, he said, don't be afraid. It's I. You, do you know when he said, it is I, the words it is I in the Greek, uh, that's the word ego and me, and it's the word for I am. Like when he said before Abraham was I am, before Abraham was I am, he is saying, listen, this is God in the flesh walking on the water. I created the, this water. I can walk on it. I can do what I want to. And there is nothing that is going to happen in your life that I can't take care of for you. So it's time that we put our trust in God and say, God, I know that you will make a way somehow. I'm here to tell somebody when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Thing, and yes, he will do whatever he has to to see that you don't go under. And you know what happened next? Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus said, come. Come on. And on that one word, Peter stepped out of the boat. And he walked on the water. And you know, as long as he kept his focus... As long as he kept Jesus as the center of his focus and the center of his life, he was above and not beneath. But the moment he looked away from Jesus and the moment he looked at his circumstances and the moment he saw the waves, how high they were, my God, he lost his faith. And even though he had stepped out on that one word from Jesus, he now begins to sink. I don't want anybody here to sink in 2011. I want everybody here under the sound of my voice to be above and not beneath, to be the head and not the tail. Come on, it's time that we be all that God desires us to be. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Come on, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. My God, if you've started this race, this is no time to quit. This is no time 
to give up now. It's time to run this good race. It's a race that we are going to win because he is the author. He's there at the beginning. And if he is the finisher, he'll be there when we come in. And we'll hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. My God, I wish somebody, that's a good place to give the Lord a praise offering. Someone ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes you will get to the place where your financial resources seem like they're insufficient. And there are times when you feel like there is nothing, humanly speaking, you can do. One day Peter stands at Galilee and he said, Jesus, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. And then Jesus said, Peter, cast down your nets on the right hand side of the boat. And Peter thought to himself, I'm sure, in his mind, if they're not doing anything on the left side. I mean, hey, we are the fishermen. This, this is our, you know, this is our area of expertise. Lord, you're the preacher and the teacher. You know, let us stick to the fishing. You stick to the preaching and teaching. But then he stopped and he said, oh, this is Jesus, the master. And then he said, nevertheless, at thy word, we're going to let down the nets. My God, I, I, I tell you, I don't know who it is today that just God's saying to you, launch out in the deep. Launch out into the deep. This, this is your year. Come on, let down your nets. Come on, your nets might have to do something with your business. It might have something to do with an idea that you've been coming in your mind and you can't shake it. My God, that might be a dream from God. It might be God speaking to you about a certain place. You see, here's what I believe. After prayer and fasting, as I told you on day one about Ezra fasting, that we may know what is right for us and our children and what to do with our substance. My God, someone might, uh, God might just speak to you and tell you this year, you need to make an investment right here. You might need to invest over here. Come on. I just believe the Holy Spirit that lives on, si on the inside of you, come on, can lead you and guide you to what you ought to do in the area of your finances. The disciples, what was equal? I mean, think about it. They show up with two fish, five loaves, but there's about 15,000 people. Come on. Lord, what are these among so many? Whew. And the prophet's servant walked, come on, into Dothan, surrounded by 100,000 uh, Assyrian soldiers. And, and when they look, uh, the servant sees that they're surrounded. And then the prophet said, Lord, open his eyes. Let the winds blow, let the storms rise, but those that are trusting in the Lord God, come on, you're going to stand. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, come on, and you put on the whole armor of God, 
Come on, that your loins are girt about with truth. You got on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, you take the shield of faith. And you quench every fiery dart. Darts are coming. The enemy is shooting his darts. But you got the shield. Come on. I'll tell you. The shield of faith is more real than the shoes on your feet right now, if you know your God. I said the shield of faith is more real. Come on. Take the shield. And when the enemy is firing those fiery dots, I quench every fiery dots with the shield of faith. I put on the helmet of salvation, and I take the sword of the Spirit. My God, which is the Word of God? It is the rhema. My God, I tell you, I've, I, I've got a sharp two-edged sword, not in my hand, but it's in my mouth. I said it's the, it's the rhema word of God that will come out and ignite faith in you to step out on nothing that, you see, God's going to call for some of you to walk, come on, on the water of your life this year. Come on, some of you are going to have to step out, but when you step out, don't you look back. I said, don't look back, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Keep your eyes steadfast on the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Let me espouse another spiritual principle. I know that sometimes many of us are slow to come to, reluctant to take a hold of, but a prophet in 1 Kings 17 walked across the stage of a life of a woman. Uh, come on, that she only had two pancakes. She lived in the midst of a raging famine. Come on. A depression was going on. Uh, some of you in 2011 are going to be making decisions that not only will affect you, but they are going to affect your children. And, and, and they're going to affect you the rest of your life. Some of you will make decisions in your home, at work, and in the church. And the fact that, uh, uh, you know, you don't, sometimes you may not know what it takes to win the battle. You will need help from an outside source. You're going to need an answer. And you're going to need to get plugged into God like you have never been before. And so this woman, she stands there in the midst of this famine and she has an option. The man of God asks her for something that has to seem ridiculous to me and to you. It has to seem almost selfish. You could almost criticize him if you didn't know what he was doing. He says to her, what do you have in your hands? She said, I've got two pancakes. He said, okay, I tell you what, give them to me. If you, if you eat this one meal, you're going to eat your last meal like you said and die. But if you put them into the hands of God, they will last seven years and they will keep on multiplying. In your hands, they will shrink. In his hands, they will multiply. And so unless you turn loose of what is in your hand, God can't turn loose of what is in his hand. You know, God will never ask you for what you don't have. But he will ask you for something that you would really like to keep. Because God will check you 
lovest thou me more than these? And that woman decided to go for broke. She gave him what she had, and she lived in seven years of plentiful supply. One of these days, God is going to walk across the stage of your need and say, what is, what is it that you've got? And some of you will say, God, I don't have enough. There is no way that I can do it. God will say, turn loose of what you've got. And the moment you do, you are going to cause God's mathematics to go to work. And he will take your nothingness and multiply it by his almightiness. And suddenly those giants will topple and those walls will come down and you are going to see all of your storms calmed. And your sickness is going to be healed. My God, God is going to show you when you have nothing left but God, you've got enough to start all over again. And Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Not only was this battle, this conflict, unequal. But this battle that Benaiah is facing is unavoidable. Let me show you something different. This guy, Benaiah, doesn't just jump into this pit to check himself out in warfare. No, to get from where God wanted him to go, he had to go through the pits. And some of you, you may not like the pits, but God sometimes, by the way, the word pit, P-I-T, it's prophets in training. So you see, sometimes God will allow you to go through the pits. You have to go sometimes through the pits to get from where you are to where you need to go. And to come from Egypt to get to the promised land, you might have to go through a wilderness. So sometimes you may not like what you have to go through. But God is there. And when you are in this, there is only one way out. And that is victory. Come on, you can't sign a peace treaty with a lion. Because number one, he doesn't read, and he doesn't write. And if he could, he's like the communists. They just break their treaties. Secondly, you can't cancel an appointment with the lion when he is looking you face to face. You can't do it. He's looking at you. He's calling for a verdict. There's no doors out of the pit. Otherwise, you can exit. There are no trees in the pit, or you can climb out. I heard about a preacher who, he was one of these preachers that also was a hunter, you know. He liked to hunt. Well, some preachers like to play tennis. Some like to play golf. Some like basketball. This preacher was a hunter. And so one day he goes out and he's hunting. And lo and behold, he comes face to face with a bear. I don't know why I'm telling these 
animal stories. But he runs face to face with a bear. <coughs> and he decides that he better take off running. So he is running and he's trying to get away from this bear. Bear is right on his head, running after him. There's, there's just no way he seems like he could escape. Oh, but then he looks and he sees a tree limb. The only problem is 20 feet high. But he has nothing to lose. So he jumps and he misses. But it's all right. He caught it on the way down. Please understand this. You know, there are those who would tell you that if you're going through trials and tests, that you're not spiritual. And I just want to tell you this, that that is unmitigated rubbish. It's very poor theology. Once again, those that live godly will be hassled. They will go through some tribulation. But, he's, but Jesus said, be of good courage. I'm with you. You're going to make it. Again, the devil is not going to attack a retreating army, just one who's advancing. So when you stand up and you go to fasting and you go to praying, the enemy will attack you. So don't be surprised. That even during the last days, you, you know some of you have faced some challenges on your job. You face some challenges even in your home. And if you're growing in God, you're taking turf from the enemy. And he is fighting you every single step of the way. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. But the violent must take it by force. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 9, listen to this. Whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. In other words, God says, you're not alone. You know what you're going through? Don't, don't you have no pity party right now thinking you're the only one. <laughs> I tell you, no uh, people have already been through everything you've been going through. Other people have gone through it, and guess what? They have come out of it victoriously. So let me ask you before I let you go today. What is the pits in your life? What is the pits in your life? The pits is any place or set of circumstances you wish you were not in and wish to God that you are out of it. Okay? The pits could be your home. The home situation that you have to deal with every day. The woman said, it's my husband. The man said, it's my wife. The parents said, it's these children. The employee says, it's my job. The church member says, it's the church. And when asked, how do you handle this? I stay home and just listen to CDs. Hello? 
Benaiah was one of David's three mighty men of valor, one of the best fighters he ever had. Benaiah was a star-studded hero from a hundred wars. Benaiah was a king's kid. Benaiah had direct access to the riches of David, but Benaiah was in the pits fighting the battle of his life and God was not only going to give him his greatest battle, but he was going to give him his greatest victory. I tell you, some of you are about to see the greatest victories of your life. I'll tell you, listen, I'll tell you, warfare is the breeding ground for breakthroughs and miracles. So if you're going through some type of warfare right now, it's because God is setting you up to bring you out and to cause you to be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. If you will allow God to do it in your life, in your experience. You know, people would sometimes would think, you know, and say, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could just get saved and he immediately rapture me out of here? Come on. Some of you have had that thought, you know, if I could just get saved and then go on home to be with the Lord because, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? Because, well, I'll have to be honest with you. I never did want to get out of here. But I know I, I, when I was a young person, I know what it's like, you know, to wonder if I could really live this Christian life. I, I, I wondered, you know, am I really going to make it? Because, you know, I've come to the altar and said, God, forgive me of my sins. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> This one guy, you're looking at one guy, I don't plan to spend eternity in hell. I'm telling you, that's one thing. I, I mean, now I just want to tell you, that was my early motivation. But today, I just want to tell you, I love God. I tell you, I love him and I want to serve him. I tell you, he's done so much for me. I'll tell you, if God never answered one more prayer for me, I still will serve him the rest of my days and the rest of my life because he's a good God and he is faithful. But I thought to myself, I wonder, you know, I just wonder, you know, am I going to make it? But I want to tell you, young people, I don't care how many times you have to come to this altar. If you need assurance that you're going to make it to heaven, you keep coming to this altar. I'll keep coming down and putting my hands on you and blessing you because I'm going to tell you one of these days. Now, I want to say to you, young people, you need to be in the Word because I'll tell you that's the thing that changed my life. I started memorizing Scripture. And then, you know, those things that used to trip me up and get me off track, I started quoting the Word of God. I started speaking what God, because I realized the devil handled temptation with the Word. Every temptation that the devil came to Jesus with, Jesus responded with, it is written. And I can remember, I can remember just being a teenager. And I know, I know the temptations. I tell you. You say, Pastor, look at him. He old and gray-haired now. But I'll tell you, I still can remember when the enemy would come, try to set me up. I, I can't tell you that I was perfect after I got saved. I, I didn't become sinless after I got saved. 
but I sinned a whole lot less. And especially when I made a commitment and I stood up and I said, I'm going to, I have decided to follow Jesus. Come on, I took a stand as a young teenager and I said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And I tell you, there, I know Aaron knows my cousins and other, you know, my relatives and and uh, I used to hang around with them and run with them and do things they did. Come on. And, and <laughs> every time I see Beetle, he knows me. David French, he knows me. Come on, he knows me from Fowler Street and Camp Road. And we, you know, we used to hang around together, you know. But thank God the day came. And, and some of my friends, even when I was in college, they, they said, okay, Bahama, we know, we, we'll wait on you. They said, this ain't going to last. But I want to tell you, they waited for the rest of my three and a half years of college. I had made a decision, set myself like a flint. I'm following Jesus. I'm going to live for him. And listen to me. <clears throat> if I messed up, I didn't wait for church. I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me by your precious blood. God, I have made up my mind. I'm not going to hell. I want to tell you, I'm not going to let a little bit of pleasure of sin, which the Bible doesn't deny there's pleasure in sin, he says, but it's for a season. Come on, if you live to be 100 years, uh, having all the pleasure you want for 100 years, 100 years is nothing compared to eternity. I tell you, you are going to spend eternity somewhere else. And I want to say this. This life is only preparation for eternity. So if you got 70 years, that's good for preparation. If you live to be 80, that's good. Four score, uh, that's good preparation for a million, 10 million years. You're going to live somewhere forever and ever. I'm, I want to just ask somebody. I'm not finished the message. I just want to ask you, are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you ready? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I just know there is a heaven and there is a hell. Come on, I want to tell you there is no in-between. I'm just going to tell you right now. Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about, come on, a lot of other things. And so hell is real. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Come on, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Are you ready to meet him? If you are not ready, this is your day. I'm telling you, this is your opportunity to make your calling and election sure. And First Peter talks about First Peter one talks about adding to your faith, and if you will add things like virtue, which is moral excellence and brotherly kindness and faith. He said, listen, if you'll add these seven things, he said, then you will not be barren and you will not be blind and you will stand. And having done all to stand, you will keep standing. The conflict is unequal. The battle is unavoidable. And the last thing I would have told you this morning is that it was downright untimely. You know what? There's never a good time, right, to have to be in the pits. But whatever your situation is today, make a decision. It's, this is between you and God right now, just between you and God. You need to 
have a made-up mind. We used to sing that song at my home church, Ara, most of the battle is a made-up mind. That's what it is. Most of the battle, you, you know. But then it's more than just willpower. It is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. You need God's Spirit on the inside of you. Come on. And you need His Word working on the inside of you until it begins to manifest itself. Come on, in and through your life. Thank you for listening to this audio podcast from Christian Life Church with Dr. Jay Sims. We hope that this message has been a blessing to you.